Whether you're here because it's the two times of year you come to church, you've got to deal with the issues I'm just going to throw at you today, all right? Because you're in a church that 100% believes in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't apologize for it. We don't back away from it. We believe that his resurrection power is the centerpiece. It's the foundation of the Christian faith. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is so important. It sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. In fact, there is no other world religion that makes the claim that God would come, bear the sins of humanity, die, and live again. And if, if that is the central point, then that is where we have to engage the scriptures and engage history and engage our reasoning because I'm telling you, everything in eternity, everything hinges on the fact is uh, on the, how you answer the question, did Jesus rise from the grave? It is the eternal distinctive feature of Christianity that the tomb is empty and Jesus Christ, who died for the sins of the world, was resurrected. He died on the cross, but yet on the third day, the stone rolled away, not to let him out, to let us know for a surety that he's risen, just as he said. And not only was he alive then, but he's living today and he will live forevermore. And we firmly believe that. So I want you to understand Matthew chapter 28, verses 5 and 6, kind of wraps it up as they said, don't be afraid. This is the angel that talked to the women, the most unlikely heroes in this resurrected story, because the women's testimony in this time was not even not even allowed unless it was a sexual assault case or a sexual offense. But yet these ladies were the heroine of the stories. They came to finish the burial kind of proceedings on the dead body of Jesus Christ. And this is what the angel of God said to them. He said, don't be afraid. He said, that's the angel. I know who you're looking for. It's Jesus who was crucified. He reiterates the historical fact that on Friday, Jesus was crucified. And then he says this, with the stone rolled away so that they could look in. He isn't here. He has been raised from the dead just as he said he would. Come see where his body was. Was. Past tense verb was. He's not in the tomb, was. He's not in the grave, was. Come and see where he was laid. The good news of Easter, the good news is that Jesus Christ was crucified for the sins of the world. He was placed in another man's tomb, but that was, was language. The good news of Easter is that he is risen just as he said. He is. You can talk philosophy, ideology, metaphysics. You can talk metaphysiology. You can talk theology, but it all comes down to two important questions. Is the tomb empty? And did Jesus rise from the dead? I mean, if you want to just kind of scope it all down, whittle it all down, whether you're a skeptic or saved, whether you're an atheist or an agnostic or you're a, 
you're an accepting believer, it comes down to how you answer your eternal destiny. comes down to how you answer two very simple questions. Did, was he buried, is the tomb empty, and did he rise again? Matter of fact, it's so important, and I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and that's where I want you to live there for the rest of the, for the, rest of the sermon this morning. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 14, it's so important. The apostle Paul said this. He said, if Christ is not risen, he said, if Christ is still in the grave, if Christ is still dead, then our preaching is ridiculous. Our preaching is futile. I've wasted a lifetime, and your faith is empty. If. He's not risen. You, you see, you got to come to terms with the if. You got to come to terms with the empty tomb. You got to come to terms and answer the question Did Jesus rise again from the grave? It's not surprising, therefore, that the main dispute that skeptics, atheists, agnostics, or non believers in Christ concern the resurrection. And did it occur or not? And it seems like everybody is talking about Jesus. There's this new series, AD. There's the, there's the CNN. They had a special or a series of specials, you know, Jesus, lunatic, liar, or Lord. There was another documentary called Killing Jesus. I bought a Time magazine about Jesus Christ and what happened to Jesus after his death. And it describes, I mean, literally it's divided into two parts, the centerfold, the centerpiece. And the only thing that talks about his resurrection is a big picture with a little blurb. And everything else deals with what happens before and what happens after, but it never answers the critical question, did he rise again. And I'm telling you, your eternity depends on it. See, these folks hold that if it can be shown that Jesus did not survive the cross, then the reports of his resurrection is just simply legend or maybe hallucination or just, or just concocted by fanatical believers. They say it's not possible for someone to rise from the dead However, there are those of us who firmly, confidently believe that it's not intellectual suicide to resolutely believe in Jesus Christ with all of our mind, with all of our heart, with all of our strength, to believe that he died on the cross for the sins of the world, that he was placed in the grave, and on the third day, as Matthew 8, 6 tells us, that he rose again just as he said he would. Matter of fact, I believe that the Bible is trustworthy and I believe the historical facts pre present and provide us not only with a suitable explanation for all the events described in the gospel, and the word gospel just simply means the good news, but even into the book of Acts, the reason for all of this here today is that the tomb is empty and Jesus is risen. Matter of fact, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 17. And I'm just going to say 15, 17. Or a verse because this is the only chapter you're going to live in. We'll splash other verses on the, on the screen for you. But if Christ is not risen, then your faith is useless. 
and you're still under condemnation for your sins. Man, he just throws that out there. If Jesus Christ, if he is not risen, then you're still under judgment for your sins. I'm telling you that what you believe about the resurrection is a really, really big deal. If you can refute the resurrection, then you're off the hook. I'm telling you, if, if you can refute the resurrection, if there is no resurrection, then there is no God. The Bible is not true. There is no future judgment. There is no heaven. There is no hell. That means you and I live in a fatalistic material world where you don't matter. Life doesn't matter. Nothing matters because life is a series of cause and effect. And the final cause will give your final effect that you will die and your life will have amounted to nothing because you are nothing. If there is no resurrection. I'm telling you, the resurrection is a really, really big deal. I'm going to give you six things that if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you got to answer. You've got to account for. Atheists, philosophers, historians, they debate theologians. They debate these issues in high places in Harvard and Princeton and Oxford universities. Theologians and atheists will will kind of debate over these six issues. If you're a believer, you need to understand these six issues because the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.15 that you and I are to be able to give reason for the hope that lies within us. So if somebody asks you, why do you believe in the resurrection? You can whip out these six things and each one of them begins with E and I, I ripped them off of somebody, I, but here they are. The E thing, all right? First of all, there's the evidence of the execution. Look at verses, look at verse 3. He says, Paul says, For what I received I passed on as of first importance. In other words, he said, this is the primary issue here. This is the big deal here. This is the really, really important thing here. That Christ died for our sins according. To the scriptures. So you have to deal with this whole issue. The execution of Jesus Christ. Because some people say that Jesus Christ didn't die at all. That he simply maybe took a drug that rendered him unconscious. Or that somehow he, he passed out. And the Roman guards who were, who were trained to kill and execute. Somehow misjudged. Let me read you what a, what a series of medical examiners, forensic medical examiners have said. They said the, execu the execution of Jesus was hideous. He was flogged. It was terribly br br brutal. Usually there was 39 lashes from a whip, a braided leather that had metal balls and sharp bones woven in it. These balls caused bruises and contusions on the first couple of lashes and then broke the skin open with further blows. The bones would cut deep into the flesh so severely that the back from the shoulders to the legs would be shredded right down to the exposing of the spine. It was a horrible, intense pain. In fact, they had to invent a word to describe the pain from this beating at this point in time in Roman history. And here's the word, excruciating. The word excruciating means out from the cross. 
hypovolemic shock would set in due to the loss of blood. This resulted in a heart racing to pump blood that isn't there. The blood pressure drops, causing fainting or collapsing. The kidneys stop working, and a person becomes incredibly thirsty in an attempt to replace the loss of blood. Hypovolemic shock would cause a sustained rapid heartbeat, which contributes to heart failure, resulting in a collection of fluids in the membrane around the heart called the pericardial infusion. Nails were driven into the hands that would lock them to the cross. The medial nerve would be crushed in the cross when the cross was put in an upright position. The arms were stretched. Each arm was stretched six inches. That would completely dislocate the arms from the shoulders. This position, the chest in an inhaled position. And I want you to do this with me right here. I just want you to inhale. Inhale again. Inhale again. Inhale again, inhale again. Don't cough because you exhale when you cough. Inhale again. They were positioned in a place where they were in, in a, the chest was put in a place of permanent inhalation to where they could only inhale and inhale. The result was that the victim on the cross had to push up Jesus with, his na- with the feet nailed through his, or his feet nailed to the cross, he had to push up with his legs until the pain became so intense in his legs that he would collapse again and struggle to breathe again. The beaten back scrapes against the rugged lumber, producing again excruciating pain. And this process is repeated over and over until exhaustion takes place. Breathing slows, respiratory acidosis sets in, carbon dioxide is dissolved in carbonic acid, causing the acidity in the blood to increase, causing irregular heartbeat, and all of this leading to death. Gerg Ludman, and I read some of his stuff. He is an atheistic historian. He acknowledged that the historical evidence is clear and it's conclusive that Jesus' execution is indisputable. So what's the atheist saying? He's saying that Jesus died because of the beating and because of the cross. The second evidence I want to throw out there is that there's the evidence of the empty tomb. Would you look at verse 4? The evidence of the empty tomb said he was buried. He was buried. Well, that's common. You bury dead people. If the atheist Gerd Lugerman said that the evidence is indisputable that Jesus died, then they buried him Oh, but the verse doesn't end there, and that he was raised again on the third day. By the way, let's read how they covered it up. Because you have to have an answer for the empty tomb. It's one of the most indisputable, whether you're an atheist, agnostic, or you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it is one of the most indisputable facts in the New Testament. Matter of fact, look, just follow the screen, Matthew chapter 28. It says, while the women were on their way, that's to the, tell the men that Jesus was risen, that his body wasn't in the tomb, some of the guards who were guarding the tomb to protect a dead man's body 
went into the city and reported to the chiefs and the priests everything that had happened. And when the chief priests had met with the elders, they devised a plan. Here's the plan. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, here's what you're to say. His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, that's the Roman people, then we'll satisfy them. We got you back. We'll keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money. They took the bribe and did as they were instructed. And the story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this day. What's the problem with that story? If they're asleep, how did they know it was the disciples? And if they were awake, the disciples would never have taken the body. Their own lie implodes on itself. That was the best that they could come up with. Because honestly, it would have seemed to me that one of the easiest things that you could have done was disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, everybody, let's go down to the old Jerusalem cemetery. It's the third sepulcher on the left. Take a peek in, look at the body, he's there. Caesar or Pilate could have thrown Jesus' body on the back of the wagon and, and had it pulled by a donkey or a horse down the main street of Jerusalem and said, look, everybody, there he is. But they didn't because they couldn't because he wasn't there. He had risen just as he said. Please understand, you've got to account for the empty tomb. I read, and I cannot remember his name, I could not find, uh, I read so much this, this week, and I could not find, I will have it for you next week, but there's this lawyer, he's in the Genesis World Book of Records, he has won the most court cases than anybody in the world. And he was an atheist, and he decided to put the claims of the gospel into his world, the evidentiary procedures in a court of law. And he says that when you look at evidence, you have to look at the character of the witness, you have to look at means, you have to look at motive, and you have to look at opportunity. And so he started looking, he said, who had, who had motive to steal the body of Jesus? If Jesus was just another man and he died on the cross, who had the motive to take his body? Well, it wasn't the Jews. They were the ones who plotted to kill him. It wasn't Rome. It was their executioners that gave that excruciating out-of-the-cross beating. Matter of fact, the Jews wanted him dead and Rome didn't want any more problems. You say, well, it was the disciples. Seriously? Where you want me to believe that the disciples who during his crucifixion ran away, cowered in the shadows, hid behind locked doors, and then to all of a sudden imagine that they were infused with courage and that they had to intelligence to construct and then not contradict their own story just so that they could be persecuted for the rest of their lives in hopes that a murdered Messiah would come back to life, that does not make any sense to any one of us in this room. Who had motive to empty the tomb? Oh, there's one other person I'd like to tell you who had motive to empty the tomb. And it would be the father of Jesus, 
God himself. So that through the life and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, sins for the entire world could be atoned for. And wasn't that his motive in sending his son in the first place? That God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his motivation. He loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. What we know is this, is that the tomb is empty. And the clearest explanation is that Jesus rose again. Just as he said, the third evidence I want to throw at you, that if you're a skeptic, you've got to answer. If you're a believer, you amen. It's just the eyewitness. The eyewitnesses. See, some folks will say, well, nobody really ever saw Jesus again. He just kind of disappeared over into India. Or, or if you read some of the Da Vinci, Dan Brown stuff, you know, he just kind of married this French woman or Mary Magdalene and went to France and, and, and maybe crossed the Mediterranean Sea and ended up in Africa. Would you just listen to Scripture? Listen, and he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, the Apostle Peter, and then to the, to, to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time, most of them who are still living. And then he appeared to James and all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me, 513 eyewitnesses to his resurrection. I'm telling you, in a court of law, if 513 people go to the witness stand and accuse you of stealing money, you stole the money. 513 people go to the witness stand and said it was your fault that the wreck happened. It's your fault that the wreck happened. 513 people go to the witness stand and they say, uh-uh, I've seen Jesus. I've walked with Jesus. I've eaten with Jesus. I've listened to Jesus. I've touched Jesus. In a court of law, the evidence demands by eyewitness account that he's alive and that he lives. Let me give you the fourth evidence. Again, if you're an agnostic, a skeptic, an atheist, I'm so glad you're here. Man, it's the evidence of the early accounts. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. It says this. But it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead. How can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? The implication of this is, and I'm going to put it into the vernacular of our day. Are you kidding me? You really have the nerve to say that Jesus isn't risen from the dead? You know people who have talked to him. You know people who have eaten with him. You know people that have heard him teach after his death on the cross. But if it is preached that Christ has been risen from the dead, how can some of you say there is none? You've heard the message. See, here's the deal. There were so many people alive at that time who knew the truth, that knew the story, that if the apostles were lying about the resurrection, anyone, all anyone would have to do is take a trip to the cemetery and say, you boys are just a big bunch of liars. I'm not listening to you. Let me give you the fifth one. There's the, ex there, there's the, the evidence of extra-biblical 
accounts. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this as we go through this Rethink Jesus. Because there's a lot of people who will give you the, the, the impression, as CNN did in their documentary, that you know, outside of the scriptures, history is pretty well silent on Jesus Christ. Noted historian Gary Habermas said this, he lists 39 ancient sources outside the Bible that provide more than 100 facts about Jesus' life, his teaching, his death, and his resurrection. There is extra biblical support. It is not just what's contained in this book. Let me just quickly give you a couple more. There's the evidence of the emergence of the church. Look at verses 17 through 20. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most pitied or most miserable. But Christ indeed has been raised from the dead. I love that. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. You know, please understand, apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no explanation for the church. For the church was birthed in Jerusalem. Not very far and not very many weeks after he was crucified and buried in that same city. I, I mean, honestly, if you were going to start kind of a, a... You would have gone as far away where people didn't know the story. People couldn't validate the story. People couldn't authenticate the story. But it was right there in Jerusalem. It's incredible that the church would start in the very city where Jesus was crucified just weeks earlier. And the church grew because they preached one message. I mean, every sermon you read in the book of Acts, there is one central theme. Here's the first one from the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. You stay in 1 Corinthians 15, but just follow along. People of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and he prearranged, and in his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed, when with the help of lawless Gentiles, you Jews nailed him to the cross to kill him but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life for 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 death could not keep him in its grip do you understand the very first message preached was the one of the resurrection and if there was ever a city, and if there was ever a time where anybody could have diffused that message, it would have been in Jerusalem at this point in time. But Peter stood boldly, proudly, preaching that death could not control him. Death's grip lost its power over him, and death could not contain him. And the power was so great in that message. Look what happened in verse 41. It says that those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to that church, about 3,000 in all. 3,000 people said, yes, I believe the message of the resurrection. Yes, I've heard the story. My mama saw him. My brother talked to him. I, I heard, I, I saw him walk the streets. 
you have the whole evidence of this emerging church. And if the claim was false, the people would have laughed at him and laughed him out of the, out of the city. But 3,000 people at that very first resurrection message. See, if you think the resurrection of Jesus Christ is just a cute Sunday school moralistic story for children in Sunday school class, you have seriously misunderstood the mound of evidence I've just given to you. It's the same mound of evidence that atheists, agnostics, Muslims, Hindus, Shiites, everybody has to work through and address as well. But people aren't changed because you hear evidence. Please understand, people are changed, people are transformed, people receive forgiveness of sin, people receive grace, people receive a second chance, people receive life, not because of evidence, but because they have a personal experience with Jesus Christ, the crucified, risen, and buried, crucified, risen, son of the living God. So you say, does it matter? So you say, does it really matter? Does this whole resurrection thing really matter? some 2,000 years ago. Does it really matter? And the answer is yes. Absolutely yes. Ridiculously yes. More than any other question that you will answer in your lifetime, you have to answer the question of Jesus Christ. Did he rise again? And I'm telling you, if you believe that, let me tell you why it matters. Let me tell you what the resurrection proves. The resurrection proves that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, that he is the son of God, the Messiah of the Jews, and the savior of the world, that he came to seek and to save you and I who were lost in our sins, living in a messed up world with messed up lives, and he came to redeem us from our sins and to redeem us from ourselves and to redeem us from, from our flaws and our mistakes and our heartaches and life's disappointments. He came to give us a brand new life and a brand new start in Jesus Christ. It proves he is who he is. And he is the son of God. Hint, Buddha did not make a claim that he would die and rise again. Confucius made no claim. Muhammad made no claim. There was only one world one world religious leader that ever made the claim that he would die and rise again, and that is Jesus. Matter of fact, he was so confident of it, he foretold it in his life, and everything that he told came true. I proved that he is the holy, righteous, pure, sinless Son of God. The resurrection also proves Christ's power over death. The Bible records Christ rose from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. Romans chapter 6 and verse 9. And the resurrection because of his victory over sin, it secures our victory over sin. One of the things that falls to my lot as pastor is I, I do funerals. I do not like funeral homes. I have told my wife, that when I die, I do not want funeral music. I want balloons. I don't want flowers. I want candy and games. I want people to have a party. Don't even put me in the room. Because I'm already gone. I hate funerals. And sometimes we come to a funeral home 
We do our last pass by a casket. And we watch someone die too young. Or a loved one who's had a tremendous impact on our life. Pass away. And somehow a cloud hangs over like death has the final say so. Now I don't like death. Unless Jesus comes, we're all going to die. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. Unless Jesus comes, we're all going to face death. I don't like death. But I want you to know death does not have the final say so. Because Jesus Christ rose again. Because as Peter said, death could not hold him. Death lost its grip on him. Christ rose from the dead and we will never and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. And if I'm a follower of Christ, if it doesn't have power over him, it doesn't have power over me. Oh, I may die in this world, but my soul will forever be in the presence of the Lord and in the rapture. And we'll talk about all this stuff in the months to come but my body and soul will be reunited. All I simply want you to understand is that through his death, burial, and resurrection, we have revealed it proves Christ's power over death, and death does not, death does not have the final say-so. Jesus Christ does. The resurrection also proves that God's enemies are defeated from the moment of the original sin in the Garden of Eden. No, rewind it to time that we cannot go to. Kind of in, in that mysterious part of the Bible that maybe is not quite as clear as some of us would like it to be. When, the, when Lucifer, Satan, the devil, warred against God. And he led a third of the angels... And from that moment of that original rebellion until the day of the cross, the devil fought hard and viciously, and he still fights today and cunningly to overthrow the kingdom of God. And at Calvary, Satan must have thought he had dealt a final and decisive blow in that age-old eternal war. But that was the devil's most serious miscalculation because the cross was heaven's greatest triumph. Because when Jesus said, it is finished, Eli, Eli, Sabathani, in the, in the original Aramaic, when it translated in our language, it is finished. What Jesus was saying is that not only is sin defeated, but the author of sin is defeated. The effects of sin are defeated. The addictions of sin are defeated. The chains of sin are defeated. The guilt of sin is defeated. And everything that the devil and sin would throw at you and hurl at you and just pummel you with, Jesus Christ says, uh-uh, it is already defeated through my death on the cross and through my resurrection on Easter Sunday morning. He defeated God's enemies. And then the resurrection proves that he has the power to forgive. That he has the power alone to forgive. 
The Bible asserts that Christ had not been risen. Look at verse 17. If Christ had not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. But by rising from the dead, Jesus proved his authority over the power to break the bonds of sin and to bring forgiveness in your life. You say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's back up the truck here just a minute. Why am I a sinner? Because you were born into a corrupt human race because of the sins of Adam and Eve. You were born with the spiritual DNA of sin. I'm a Trimble, that's my last name. I know all of you would like to be one of us, but you can't. But we have certain DNA. I'm not sure I know of a Trimble that is over. Well, I do know of one Trimble we played for Maryland University basketball team, Mellow Trimble. Does anybody see my man, Mellow? He's six foot something. Totally not related to him. <laughs> Trimbles have a certain DNA. Most of us are short. Most of us are balding. Most of us are animated. I mean, we just kind of had this little DNA thing going on because we're born with it. I didn't have a choice in it. I just got it. I'm not sure if, if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I just got it. Listen, you were born with sin. You didn't have a choice in the matter. You're not a sinner because you choose to sin. You sin because you were born a sinner. Do you understand the difference? And Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the sinner. The disciples were all excited one day because Jesus would rather hang out with sinners than church people. And they basically looked at him and said, Jesus, what's the deal? And he said, I didn't come for those that are healthy. I came for those that are sick. So I choose to hang out with sinners because they're the one who need healing from their sin. Listen, the resurrection proves Christ's power to forgive sin. He has the authority. He has the power. He has the right because he is the divine son of the most high God. So here's the question. Because Jesus is alive and wants to live in your heart. What difference does it make? It makes all the difference in the world. The question is, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? I've given you six things that if you were to go to a Harvard debate, I guarantee you would hear these six things discussed. The result of his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection is that today you can have a brand new start in life. Today you can have your sins forgiven. Today you can have a hope. Today you can have a clean slate by having a personal relationship with him. You say, how do you do that? It just starts with a very simple prayer. And it admits that you're a sinner and it admits that he is the son of God. And it admits that, that you need him in your life.
to fully live life. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity. You've heard the evidence. If you were sitting on a jury, the judge would now ask you for a verdict. Did Jesus, was he buried? And did he rise again? The preponderance of the evidence and the absence of other viable absence just clearly point that Jesus is the Savior of the world. But is he the Savior in your heart? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, why not right now? Why not right now where you sit pray this very simple prayer? Dear Jesus, I thank you that you are the Son of God. I believe that you are who you say you are the Savior of the world. So right here in this church, I tell you I'm sorry for my sins. And I invite you to live in my heart. And from this day forward, I want your blessing in my life. I accept you. I believe in you. I believe you died for me. I believe you were buried for me. And I believe you rose again for me. And now I want to live for you. And with our heads bowed and eyes closed and nobody's looking.